You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you today? Awesome. And, you know, this rain is like is like a, a, a pastor's like fear. You know, when it comes to the Texas up north, it's like rain or shine, snow, sleet, blizzard doesn't matter. People get to church here. Oh, it looks like it could rain. I think it's maybe because the women's hair are taller here. And so the the rain is a real big issue with getting out of the house. I don't know. I moved here from Indiana. So whenever it's like, I'm, I'm looking at the forecast all week. My wife and I were like, oh my goodness, it's supposed to rain 50% chance on Sunday. Well, there goes half our people. You know, fortunately, that's not a living way, right? All right. There's probably a few that stayed back because it was so gloomy, but it's, it is great, man. The sun is shining in here. Uh, the Holy Spirit. So what we've been talking about, the Holy Spirit, also known as the Holy Ghost in the King James, he is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is God, 100%. He is God working in the life and affairs of human beings. Uh, the Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Spirit, all are God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, Jesus gives us the promise. He says, but you will receive power. The word power there is dunamis. So we get the word dynamite. It means miraculous, explosive power, uh, specifically about the power of God right here. You will receive dynamite power. You will receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, the Holy uh, Holy Spirit uh, gives believers, followers of Christ. Man, the things that we're saying today that the Holy Spirit gives, he gives to those that are Christians. The Bible says that when you become a Christian, you are given a deposit. That deposit is the Holy Spirit. And you are born of the Spirit the moment you bow the knee to Christ, confess your sins and turn from yourself and turn to Him. When that happens, when you become born again, the Bible says that you become regenerated, made new in the Spirit through the Spirit. So you are given the Holy Spirit a believer. If you're not a Christian today, Today might seem pretty strange because we're going to talk about one of the more bizarre things that the Holy Spirit gives or does. So the Holy Spirit gives believers the power of salvation, the power to comfort, the power to convict, to live boldly lives, uh, to live holy lives, and the power to make a difference through spiritual gifts. In fact, uh, really, our life is Jesus part three. Uh, Jesus' walk on the earth is Jesus part one. The book of Acts is Jesus part two. And we are, Acts 29, the continuation, the continuing saga, Jesus part three. And the power that rose Christ from the dead has been given to believers to continue his dynamic ministry on the earth. It's a continuation, and he's empowered us for that continuation. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, it says, now about the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant is what one of the translations says. It says, uh, understanding the gifts of the Holy Spirit and our part uh, with them is an important part of our journey to maturity. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same 
Lord. And there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That means for the good or the glory of the church, for the church, through the church, and then to the world. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are what we've been talking about the last few weeks, that when a believer becomes uh, 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 infused with this understanding of who the Holy Spirit and what the dynamite he's given you, you understand the gifts, the motivational gifts, the spiritual gifts that God has given to each of us, the manifestational gifts, those are the supernatural gifts that God periodically uses to show and to point to him, um, and the ministry gifts, which we're going to talk about next week, that's the spirit-filled roles that God gives leaders. And then the, uh, the master gifts, so those are the, the things that God gives you that you're good at. Now, let's continue to look at the supernatural gifts. Last week, we talked about them, and we're going to mention, going to introduce them again today, and then we're going to talk about a very controversial, specific gift. And um, there are different views on these manifestational gifts. These manifestational gifts would be like word of wisdom, uh, word of knowledge, miracles, signs and wonders, uh, healing, uh, prophecy. Uh, these gifts, these manifestational gifts that are mentioned in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are four views of these gifts. And we talked about this last week. I want to hit on it again. We have to if we're going to talk about it today. And that is there's what's known as cessationalist. Uh, that means they believe that the gifts have ceased to happen, that they died out with the death of the last apostle. They were only important for that generation and not for this one. Then there are the charismatic uh, group, and the charismatics believe that these are things that we should seek after, things that should happen often. And that uh, they also believe that because the Holy Spirit gives these gifts, um, that you can be saved and not have the Holy Spirit. Charismatics believe that. Um, but we looked at verses counter to that in week one. And then there is a group called the Pentecostals, and the Pentecostals, they believe that the gifts are necessary, that true believers experience the manifestation gifts, and that they put an emphasis on one of the more bizarre gifts called speaking in tongues. So they emphasize that every person should speak in in tongues. And then there is the fourth view, and I just call it uh, the a fourth or a balanced view, and that is that the gifts are active but limited to Scripture and to God's plan and will. So Living Way is not a cessationist church. Okay, we don't believe that they've stopped. We're not a charismatic church. We don't believe that they should be sought. And we're not a Pentecostal church. We don't believe that every person should have to have these gifts in order to be saved. Uh, we are the fourth. We strive to have balance with these gifts. We believe the supernatural gifts are given to every generation for the ministry of the kingdom to be practiced according to the limits of scripture and God's will. Now, understand this, and I said this last week, and this is going to be, this has got to be the core of what we, when we talk about these gifts. The Bible is a supernatural book, all right? It is filled with supernatural stories. God spoke and we were. The dead coming to life. Those that were sick made whole. People who were, who, whose flesh were rotting off with a touch of Jesus' hand were restored to full health and wholeness. In the New Testament, the apostles saw 
people come to life, the sick recover, demons cast out, miracles like chains falling off the walls while they were in prison and an angel guiding them out of the jail cell. Um, These are miracles in the Bible. And in order to be a believer in Jesus Christ, you have to believe in the supernatural. Jesus Christ is a real human being who lived and walked this earth historically 2,000 years ago, all right? He claimed to be God in the flesh. I believe that. And he proved it through signs and wonders. And what really proved who he says that he was and what he did on the cross is that he did something supernatural by raising himself through the Spirit of God from the dead. Now, guys, listen. That's supernatural. Our faith, if you are a Christian, is built upon the belief in the supernatural. So uh, I want to encourage you as we talk about supernatural gifts that you understand that the Bible is all about miracles and signs and wonders. And, And I know there's some realists and there's you know, the scientists and, you know, you can be a scientist and believe in the supernatural. You can be a realist and believe in, you know what supernatural is? It's unnatural. It can't be explained. It's something that goes against the laws of nature. It is purely 100%, not something that man did. It is not a coincidence. It is not just a happenstance. It is a miracle. It is signs and wonders. It's a supernatural. And it happens. It happens. Okay. Now, here's the challenge, though. The issue is, is that I believe either too much for some of you or I believe too little for some of you. Some of you are going to find that, man, you believe in the supernatural, but not like that. And some of you believe, well, I believe in the supernatural and more than that. Some of you, uh, I will either freak you out today specifically or I will step on your toes. Um, we may not agree on all of this today. This today is a non-essential. See, that's what's great about reading through the Bible and going through the Bible. And, and when we talk about things like this is that we, we have to address issues the Bible talks about. We don't avoid them, all right? There's a lot the Bible says about what we're going to talk about today. And uh, it will either offend you, freak you out, or will cause you to be offended because it will basically reshape maybe what you had thought. Uh, we may not agree on all of it, but I just pray that whatever we disagree on, that you have a biblical reason, not, a, not an experience or an opinion. This is crucial. This is crucial. What I'm about to say, we cannot base our faith on experiences of the supernatural. We must base our faith on the truth of the word of God. Okay. The word of God is the lens or the glasses by which we view the world, including the supernatural. So just because you experienced something and somebody told you that's what it was, if it contradicts the Bible, guess who wins? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the final authority is the scriptures. Now, I used to go to a church where uh, talking about some of this stuff really offended people because I grew up in a charismatic environment, in a Pentecostal environment. And so when I, as a youth pastor, started preaching some of these things, people were slightly offended because they were seeing that I was going a different direction than the charismatic crowd that I grew up in. And so uh, they began to ask me questions. And I, sa- I remember asking one uh, family straight up, I said, so that's what you said happened to you, but that contradicts scripture. That experience 
is the opposite of what scripture says. And I said, who wins? And she looked me straight in the eye and she says, my experience wins. And that's when I knew that our conversation was not going to go anymore. Because you can have false experiences, deceptive experiences, fleshly experiences that are not biblical experiences. So let the word of God tell us what to believe, not our experience or your experience. Okay? So if you disagree, have a biblical reason. All right, let's talk about the charismata. And then we're going to look at the one in particular that I want to focus on today. The charismata is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, basically the gifts of chapter 12 are from a Greek word called charismata. And that's where the charismatics get their name because they focus on the gifts of 1 Corinthians 12. So they're charismatics. Uh, So the charismatas are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 11. Let's look at 8. There to one is given through the Spirit the message or the word of wisdom. This is the supernatural guidance of God in important situations. This is always to be tested by God's word, but this is supernatural, God-led guidance and revelation, all right? And then to understand the message that to another, it says the message of knowledge or the word of knowledge by means of the same spirit. This is the ability to understand and to know what could only be revealed supernaturally. That means if someone's reading your mail and you never told them what's going on in your life, uh, if it's a minister or a friend or a Christian that's challenging you in a specific area, that could be, they could be, at that moment, be used by God in the word of knowledge. And then there is to another, uh, the gift of faith by the same spirit. This is the ability to trust God and encourage others, regardless of the circumstances that no matter what is going on, they have this sense of confidence through the supernatural power of God. And they they believe or they pray the prayer of faith and they see things happen because it is a God moment where they have great faith to see beyond the circumstance. To another, the gift of healings by that one same spirit. This is obviously is a supernatural ability to use God's power to see the sick recover. This is uh, uh, when someone is sick and they are prayed for and they recover. Pretty simple. That is a healing. That is a miracle. That is supernatural. That is God. Um, we talked about these extensively last week, so I'm just introducing them so that we can get to the last one today. To another, miraculous powers. This is signs and wonders that testify of God and his word. They go against the laws of nature. When something like this happens, it is absolutely no doubt something that is unexplainable, supernatural. It's not natural, it's supernatural. And the sign is that it points to God. It makes you wonder about who God is and his power. Okay, it's a sign and wonder. Um, The purpose of miracles, by the way, is to point to God. They always testify of Jesus. There are a couple, here's a couple of thoughts that I want to mention about miracles I didn't mention last week. A couple of errors regarding miracles. Number one is that people who use miracles to exalt themselves for their ministry. And number two, people who chase signs and wonders are both called wicked by Jesus, all right? In Luke eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus turned to the crowd and he said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for miraculous signs. We are not to chase miracles. When you see that advertisement for that miracle conference, run away from it, not to it, all right? The Holy Spirit can meet you where you are with your friend at your church or in your bedroom. You don't have to travel across 
the state or town and given to this massive offering. And so some, some miracle seed of faith to get your miracle, okay? People who seek miracles, chase signs and wonders, or use miracles to exalt themselves or the ministry are called wicked. This is important to understand because miracles are real. Miracles happen. I've seen them. I've been a part of them. Miracles happen, but we're not to chase them. We're to chase Jesus, okay? Uh, 1 Corinthians goes on to say, to another gift, to another person, the gift of prophecy. This is the ability to supernaturally speak and proclaim God's word. This is often confused and abused. It's referred to both as a gift and as an office, that means a role in the church, there are a lot of false prophets in the church today. We're going to talk about false prophets next week, okay? Uh, but the context here is a temporary gift of supernatural knowledge and declaration given as needed by the Holy Spirit. It's a temporary gift, okay? It's not the role or the office. This is the context here is a gift given as needed by God's will. Verse 10, it goes on to say to another, the distinguishing or the discerning between spirits. This is the supernatural ability concerning unseen spiritual activity. This is someone who's able to supernaturally determine if a message, person, or situation is of God or not, always tested through the Bible. This is like when someone walks in and they really sense that there's something in this room, spirit-wise, that, that is good or bad or a situation or person or, or a job or a scenario, a circumstance, it's supernatural discerning of spirits. And then to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another, the interpretation of tongues. This is the ability to speak a language you have not learned. I think true tongues are rare. All of these are the work of one in the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines, as God determines, as the Holy Spirit determines. Now, churches are split over this issue, those four views, the cessationists, the charismatics, the Pentecostals, and uh, the, the fourth, the balance. They, they all tend to conflict over these. Uh, for some of you, it is a stretch of faith, and for some of you, you're deeply offended or bothered by this. You don't like this topic. You'd rather not even have this today. Um, I want to challenge you. This is my phone number, 469-877-1101. If you have any questions concerning the Charismata, feel free to text me or ask me this week or later today, and I will get back with you as soon as possible. I want to talk about this morning about one specific gift, the most bizarre and strange of all the Charismata, speaking in tongues, the gift of tongues. Now, it is confusing, and it is so confusing that um, and there was so much misuse of this gift that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul lists the gifts, and then 1 Corinthians 13, he says, love is better than all those gifts. He says, that's what you should desire. That's what you should chase. That is what you should pursue is how to be a good lover of people. And then he spends all of chapter 14 talking about how they are misusing it and how it's misunderstood. It's the only issue where there's an entire chapter talking about one of these spiritual gifts. So we're going to use that chapter 
And we're going to go back in time to look at where it came from. The word tongue is best translated languages. All right, this is important to understand because it is the same word used for languages throughout the New Testament. And every time the word tongue is used as a spiritual gift, it is used in the context of a known language. Okay, we're going to talk. There's a there's one reference in 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 Corinthians where it talks about the tongues of angels. Uh, he says, though I speak with the tongues of angels and the tongues of men, if I'm a, if I if I do not have love, I'm a noisy symbol. That's in that's what he talks about. He's basically saying he's not saying that there's some mystery angelic language. He's uh, saying this divine language, this divine supernatural gift, or in regular languages, the supernatural language or the uh, or, or your ability to actually speak another language that's not a spiritual gift. He says, whatever it is, if I don't have love, I'm just noisy and I'm a sounding symbol in a band that, uh, that doesn't even want me. All right, so uh, that one reference is not about the angelic or supernatural mystery languages of heaven. It is a reference to the supernatural gift of languages, okay? So let's talk about this. Where did tongues even come from? Tongues are actually in the Bible in a few places. And it was introduced in uh, the New Testament in Acts, well, actually in Mark 16. We're going to talk about that in a second. Jesus references it uh, briefly in Mark 16 at the end of his life, just before the ascension. Um, Acts is where it all unfolds. Uh, Jesus' last talk with his disciples, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he says, On one occasion, while Jesus was sitting with them, he gave them this command. He said, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John the Baptist with water, uh, he baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Baptized, immersed, soaked, dunked, just drenched in the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Now, that actually happened 10 days later. 10 days after Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem, something big's about to happen, it happened. In fact, it was 50 days after the resurrection. You got to realize that what we're about to talk about and all that's going on in this first two chapters of Acts happened within a month or two months of Jesus' crucifixion. So things are fresh on the scene in Jerusalem. The disciples are uh, in the middle of possibly being arrested and killed. Uh, They are hiding in their houses and praying and just waiting for whatever Jesus said to wait on. So 50 days after the cross, 10 days after Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says that exactly... 9 a.m. in the morning, which is a reason why you need to be here early. At 9 a.m. in the morning, the Holy Spirit showed up, all right? And it happened on a Jewish holiday called Pentecost. Now, it's also known as Shavuot, which means feast. It's the feast of weeks, and it's the day they celebrate two things. They celebrate the end of the harvest with a feast, and they celebrate this... Pentecost of God's pouring down of his word from Moses to them, okay? So since it was after harvest, it was the best attended festival of the year. And Jerusalem was jam-packed with this little tiny town, was jam-packed with thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people for this feast of Pentecost. 
Now, take a look at this graph here. I thought this was interesting. Is that we have the comparison between Passover and Pentecost. Passover is basically the celebration or the holiday for Jewish people where a lamb was slain and the spirit of death went over the houses with Moses and they were released from Egypt. You saw it in, in uh, the Ten Commandments or, you know, when they put the blood on the, la- on the door and the, the spirit of death went over the houses that had the blood of the lamb on the door. Um, that is Passover because it passed over their house when it saw the blood of the lamb. Uh, Jesus is in Passover 30, 30 AD, Jesus was the Passover lamb that was slain. Uh, Passover in Egypt, it was, a, it was a celebration of their freedom from slavery. In Passover 30 AD, Jesus is the one who sets us free from the slavery of our sin. And then he says, wait, because there's another day coming and I'm about to rearrange a whole nother holiday. And this holiday for them was the day of Pentecost. It was the day that they remember in the original holiday. It was the day that they received the word of God from Moses, from God. So that day that God gave Moses the word of God and he comes down and shares it, that's what they celebrate at Pentecost. But at Pentecost 30 AD, they, we now remember it as the day that the spirit of God was given by Jesus. So we have Pentecost. It's the actually literally with the with Moses's it's called the Torah. The first five books of the Bible are called the Torah. Moses received them from God on Mount Sinai, and that's what Pentecost is the celebration of receiving the Torah. It was the beginning of Judaism. But on the day of Pentecost in 30 AD, what began was the church of Jesus Christ. So while one celebrates the beginning of Judaism, one celebrates the beginning of the church. So what exactly happened on that day with the Holy Spirit? Well, let's read it and find out. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. It says, they were all praying and waiting. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, that holiday, that feast, town was packed, all right? They didn't know when it was coming. They just knew God said, uh, that Jesus said, wait. Uh, So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house that they were sitting in. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages and this, as the Spirit enabled or empowered them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven because of the holiday of Pentecost. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together outside the house in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, aren't these guys, those little country dudes from Galilee? And yet they're speaking languages from around the world. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And then uh, the rest of 8, 9, and 10, part of 11, lists uh, a dozen some languages that they were all speaking. They were speaking uh, a dozen known languages, and it lists them all. If you want to read them, you can. Uh, Verse 11, it says, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own 
languages or in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does that mean? Okay, it's a wonder, it's a sign and a wonder. Okay, now I brought, I brought Pentecost this morning and uh, I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure how far the Holy Spirit's gonna blow in this room. Uh, I think the people in the first few rows are gonna feel, feel it. Let's see, let's see. Let's see. Can, can you feel the Holy Spirit? <laughs> can you feel it? No? Can you feel it? I need someone with, with big hair to, to, be, to be over here. Can you feel? It just feels like a fan, doesn't it? I needed like about a dozen. It was, I went to look for like one of those big industrial fans, you know, like to flip it on and just blow all your bulletins to the back of the room. Uh, but at this time of year, they're just not around. So... I like this fan. Feels good. All right, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Just so you might see an idea of what it looks like, check out this clip. It might have looked something like this. It's 50 days since Passover, the day Jesus was crucified. Now thousands of Jewish pilgrims come to Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. sign of Jesus followers? No. I assume they've all gone back to Galilee. Do you? Just make sure your men are ready. If they return, you have to deal with them. I cannot call upon the Romans again. Here, brother. This way. We must be careful, though. They're watching us. John, I'm glad you're all safe. It's good to see you again, Stephen. Matthew. What form will it take? When will it come? Jesus said all we had to do is ask. I have been asking. Every day. The Holy Spirit will come when the time is right. I think we should pray together. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.
Christos! O Jesus! O Christos! Suliba wakama minal maut! O Christos! Suliba wakama minal maut! Pretty good clip. Now, it was recorded in Acts chapter 2 what it looked like and what it sounded like. This massive, mighty storm inside of a building. Uh, and it was as if fire. So it, was, it doesn't say it was like actually fire, but it says as if fire. They might have been glowing, might have been bright light. We, we don't really know. They were using words as best that they could to describe a supernatural event. But what resulted was this this language, this speaking in languages, the speaking in tongues. Now, Acts one fifteen says that there could have been possibly up to 150 people in that upper room. We don't know how many, but we do know for sure that all of the disciples all spoke in tongues that day. And there were 150 followers that were huddled together and praying. Uh, they might've been there as well, but the crowd didn't just in there. This is how the story continues in Acts chapter 12, uh, 2. It says, Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. He just, it just hears him, you know, someone who doesn't speak these other languages just hears babbling and just hears, you know, gibberish. And they, they think they're just a bunch of drunk people talking out of their mind. Then Peter stood up with the 11 and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. And what continues in Acts chapter 2 is the very first sermon preached by an apostle, by a disciple after the resurrection of Christ. Peter stood up and thousands and thousands of people were there. Five, 10,000 people began to show up and Peter began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 2, it says, Jesus then, uh, the Peter then gave an invitation to receive Christ as their Lord, gave an opportunity for them to become followers of Christ. And Acts chapter two says that 3,000 people became followers of Christ that day. 3,000 people after they heard the gospel in their own language, right out of the New Testament. Some read this and think this is normal. 
Some think that all true believers should speak in tongues and that this is something that happens all the time. What does the Bible really say about what happened there? It's only found in three places in the book of Acts. It has a small mention in Mark 16. And it has a couple of chapters trying to fix a misuse of it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. Let's take a look at what it says in Acts. There's only three places where it shows up. In the first one, it's Acts chapter 2. There's a supernatural confirmation and evangelism. That's in 30 AD. And then seven years later, it's mentioned again in Acts chapter 10. Seven years later, when the very first non-Jewish person becomes a believer, they begin to speak in tongues as a confirmation that God is truly saving the Gentiles. And then it shows up again 17 years later in 54 AD in Acts chapter 19 when Paul is spreading the gospel and he hits the ground of Ephesus and the very first people saved in Ephesus or the first disciples of John uh, in Ephesus as a confirmation they speak in tongues. Now these are the only three places in the entire book of Acts that happens and one seven years apart from the original time and another one 17 years uh, later. Now there's, there's no other reference to tongues in the thousands and thousands of other salvations. In fact, the 3,000 that gave their life to Christ in Acts chapter 2 does not say at all that they spoke in tongues. It says they received the Holy Spirit, but it does not mention tongues. And every place in, in the other letters, there's only one letter in the entire New Testament outside of Acts that even, that even mentions it, and it's in Corinthians, and it's all about how it's used wrong. So either it didn't happen that often, or it's not that important. And this is important to know because there's a common denominator in all of those issues. In every one of those, three times in Acts that it happened, it was a confirmation. It was a confirmation that God had received these people, the Jews. It was a confirmation that God had received these people, the Gentiles. And it was a confirmation that God had received these people, the Ephesians. Guys, listen, it was whenever a new group of people were becoming part of the kingdom of God, that gift was given to show the Jerusalem council that they were truly called by God to be followers of Christ. Now, that is not normal. The book of Acts covers 31 years. It's mentioned three times. Pentecostals and Charismatics say it should happen every day, every minute, all the time. I believe the tongues is real. It's very rare, uh, uh, very real, but very rare. So let's look at the Bible. We know what the purpose of tongues are. Number one, it's to communicate the gospel of Jesus. We see that in Acts chapter 2 and in 1 Corinthians 14. Tongues is given to communicate the gospel of Jesus in another language. Number two, the purpose is to confirm the gospel of Jesus. In Acts 10 and 19 and in two, a common factor, new people groups, God saying, I want you, okay? New people groups, it was a way of confirming that God truly was calling them to be saved as a people group, all right? It doesn't mean every person spoke in tongues in that people group. It just says that at that moment, those people confirmed that the Holy Spirit said yes to this people group, okay? This is important because 
the 11 apostles who led the church in Jerusalem, they were very, very cautious about non-Jewish people becoming Christians. And this was God's way of saying, yes, I want them too. Just like you got it, this power is for all, the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so it's to confirm the gospel. And number three, it's to convey judgment. In Isaiah 14 and in Deuteronomy 28 and in Joel chapter 2 and in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, they all reference that tongues is forecast judgment upon a people. All right, so uh, it's not necessarily something that is a sign. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14, 22 says tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Our, our purpose, uh, any purpose other than those is pure conjecture because there is no clear purpose for tongues outside of that. I read like something yesterday. I, I grew up Pentecostal charismatic and there's like, there's like, 15 reasons why you need the Holy Ghost, 15 reasons why you need to speak in tongues, you know, 12 reasons why you need to speak in tongues. All the, and I was reading some yesterday, and they were filled with out-of-context scripture, and some of their points didn't even have scripture. Uh, because the Bible is very clear, this is the reason, to communicate the gospel, to confirm the gospel, and to convey judgment. Outside of that, it's purely conjecture. We know the purpose. How about the procedure? Let's take a look at this. 1 Corinthians give guidelines for the supernatural gifts. It's the only letter that mentions languages, which glossolalia, which is the word tongues there. Um, it gives us the procedure. Write this down. Procedure number one is that when we meet publicly, we are to speak intelligible words. All right? We are to speak intelligible words. First Corinthians, the church in Corinth were experiencing fleshly gifts uh, and calling them gifts of the Spirit. And so he began to, by the way, the church in Corinth, Paul wrote them because they were crazy. All right? He dresses, addresses them suing each other. Uh, there was a, someone in their church that was having relationships with a family member. They were, he was going, they, didn't, they weren't believing in the resurrection. They were, they were living in deep sexual sin. They were sleeping around. I mean, all the, he writes this letter saying, guys, get your act together. He says, though you don't lack any spiritual gift, he says, you guys are a bunch of babies and you're still in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. He says, you guys are acting so immature. All right, and then he goes on to say and address a bunch of issues. When he gets to, for us, chapter 12, 13, and 14, he addresses their misuse of spiritual gifts of the manifestation. So he says in 12, we read it, the gifts. 13, he says, there's a better way, love. And then 14, he says, let's really talk about one you're really, really getting wrong. And he says, so it is with you. He says, um, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will also be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. Every language has meaning. He says, if then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, if they're speaking in another tongue, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. 
Now, he unpacks this in chapter 12 and in the first half of 13. He says, try to excel in the gifts that excel the church, meaning the gifts that are intelligible words of encouragement and prophecy, the words that challenge people in known languages. He says, meaning that, not that, uh, meaning that tongues are the intelligible. You need to pursue the things that are intelligible, encourage, build up, and teach. Now, he goes on to say, that every gift is for the encouragement of the body. And he says, and when someone speaks in tongues, they only seem to encourage themselves. Okay? Now, there's a lot of Charismatics and Pentecostals that use that verse where it says, those who speak in tongues encourage themselves. And they take that one verse and they say, see, we should speak in tongues, every one of us, because it encourages us. But if you read the entire chapter, particularly even the next few verses after that, he says, however... You have been called to encourage the church, all right? says these gifts are not to encourage you. They're to encourage others. So he goes on to say, if you're speaking in tongues and nobody understands, you're just making noise. Therefore, desire the intelligible, all right? Value spiritual gifts, but prophetic teaching is above the others. Teaching that, that prophetically changes and challenges and speaks into people's life intelligibly. Teaching, edifying words, not a room full of tongue-shouting people. Now, again, you're either going to be offended or freaked out, all right? So some of you are already freaked out and offended. 1 Corinthians 14 goes on to say in verse 23, says, So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and and some who do not understand or some unbeliever were to walk in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? You ever been in a service when you said, these people are out of their mind? Anybody? Nobody? Other than me? All right. I grew up in a Pentecostal environment. I grew up in charismatic churches, by the way. I feel like because of that, I know all the teachings for tongues that are out of whack because I grew up in that. So I feel especially qualified to be able to talk about this. All right. Um, I came out of that environment to a more balanced view of the Holy Spirit. But I tell you, even as someone who, who is in that environment, I would, I would go, you know what? I am so not bringing my family here. I am so not bringing my neighbor here. I am so not bringing the person who cuts my hair or the person at the bank here. A big part of Living Way Church was to be a church where you could bring anybody, anytime, all the time. Not a place where they'd be confused, where you had to give them, I just want to tell you what's about to happen. Just want to give you a lowdown. And then you had to do another one post-service. Any questions? I want me to explain that lady in the back. Okay? There's, you know, let me explain those dancers and what happened up front. All right? Uh, church shouldn't have to be filled with, let me explain what you saw. It should be with, let me explain who Jesus is and, and your desire to know him more. All right? So Living Way was birthed out of this desire to be more balanced in this area. He goes on to say, um, He says, uh, if unbelievers come in and there's a lot of talking in tongues, he says, they'll think you're crazy. He says, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, meaning speaking in intelligible, encouraging words, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming God is really among you. See, the purpose of the charismata is for encouragement of the church as a whole and to help guide and empower us for mission. And if our gifts or use of the gifts are distracting people from knowing Jesus, then it's an abuse of a spiritual gift or it's purely the flesh. 
He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 8, 14, 18, he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words than to instruct others uh, to instruct others than 10,000 words in another language or in a tongue. We are to value the gifts that build up others, not just make us feel good. Here's the second thing you need to write down, what we need to know about tongues, about the sp- procedures that we know the Bible says. is Number two, when someone speaks in tongues, there is to always be an interpretation. Now, this is one of the most neglected verses in all of charismatic and Pentecostal churches and assemblies of God churches. Because this is, this, you know, uh, I, I have wonderful charismatic friends. I came from that background. I grew up charismatic. So a lot of my ministry friends are charismatics. And this is a, a verse that is completely misused and neglected. Um, when it legitimately happens, this is how it should look. 1 Corinthians 14, 27, he says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three should speak at the most. Two or three, not a room full. Now let's get everybody roaring in here. That's, you know, it's if two or three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. No chaos here. There's not loud shouting. There's not a lot of frenzy. There's not frothing at the mouth and total chaos. It is very clear that when it legitimately happens, two or three at the most, three, and if it happens, there must, has to be an interpretation. He says, if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. By the way, this is, like I said, that, those two verses are just completely ignored by entire groups of churches and denominations around the world. It is as clear as it gets. And I want you to know this, is that at no person, at no time does a person lose control of themselves. He says, if there's not an interpreter, that person, that person should be quiet. We're going to find later on that he says it again about other gifts of, of the supernatural like prophecy. He says, he says, there's a time when you just need to shut up. There's a time when you just need to be quiet, okay? And, and I know that sounds intense, but at no point does a person ever lose control of their actions. You know, someone who is demon-possessed loses control of their actions. Someone who is Holy Spirit-possessed is led and guided by the Spirit, not manipulated and controlled like some robot or zombie, okay? So when someone goes into these, like, trance, you know, spirit, you know, these moments when I've been there, I've been in services where that's the norm, where that happens all the time, that's, that's not, according to the Scripture, the Holy Spirit. Okay, now you say, well, I just lost control. You don't lose control. The Holy Spirit, and you're going to find verses here in a minute. It says, you need to get yourself under control. And if you're a leader, then you need to get him to be quiet. Okay, Uh, he says, if there's no interpreter, unless there's an interpreter, tongues should not occur. Speaking in tongues that does not observe these guidelines is wrong. It might be well motivated. It might be done with a good heart. It might be done with a desire to know God, but it is still wrong because it goes against the plain teaching of the Bible. This is why we need to separate our experience 
from the scripture. We cannot let experience dictate our beliefs. They're all subject to the word of God. We submit our experiences to the word of God. So if our experiences contradict the word of God, then we need to find out what just happened that wasn't of God. Do you understand? And not just go, ooh, yeah. You know, you know, I grew up charismatic Pentecostal, so we didn't have church, we had church. You know what I mean? We had church today. And church wasn't an hour. Church, the longer the better, right? If it went three, four, five hours, man, God was really there. I mean, we might make it out for lunch. All right, there were long services because there was this sense that, man, we're just going to keep it because it was all experience-based. It was all about experience. And you have the same people at the altar wanting the same prayer for the same things to respond and act in the same way because they want the experience, that weekly experience, that weekly emotional high or biweekly if they came on Wednesdays or Sunday nights, they wanted that experience to validate their walk with God. But Jesus said, those that seek signs and wonders are wicked. All right, so if you're seeking those things to validate your walk with God, you're just like Thomas, the doubting apostle who said, unless I see the sign of his hands and that side pierced, I will not believe. Jesus shows up a week later and he says, you know what, here I am. Blessed are you because you believe, but more blessed are those that do not have to see and believe. Okay, so uh, <laughs> when it does happen, it should, there should be an interpreter. Uh, a lot of what happens in Pentecostal and charismatic churches is, unbiblically, uh, is unbiblical and disorderly, and it disregards this chapter. Uh, in regards to spiritual gifts as a whole, 1 Corinthians 14.33 says this, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. In verse 40, he says, Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way, okay? Churches should never resemble chaos or disorder. Unfortunately, many churches have turned the gifts of, of the Holy Spirit into goosebumps and make me feel good feeling stations where they come in to get their fill and feelings. Uh, I grew up in these kind of environments, and honestly, I am guilty of coaching people into talking in tongues because I know how to do it. I know how to line people up and get people who don't speak in tongues to talk gibberish, all right? And they, they, they would talk what it sounds like my tongue or your tongue or their tongue or the church's tongue, but it is coaching. And, and, and I had, I've had to repent of that over the years because I spent half of my ministry in a charismatic environment where I was a part of that community where I led people into a gift that was not meant for everybody or in a fleshly experience that wasn't the gift at all and made them think they were their whole life. I said this to our small group in the, in the zone. I said, if you said chair for like a half hour, you would go into euphoric uh, trance. Cults do it all the day when they, when they meditate and when they, you know, uh, Hare Krishnas to Hindus to Buddhists, you name it. Uh, meditation sends people into euphoric modes with repetition. Um, so people who speak in what they think is a tongue, that repetition can take you into a euphoric state of mind and, and make you feel like it's a spiritual experience. Uh, and sometimes it's not. It's purely mental manipulation and self-hypnosis. And I know that sounds like a travesty for some of you that grew up in Pentecostalism, but 
if it's outside of God's plan of for tongues and it doesn't equal what God's gift for tongues is, then what you have may not be tongues at all. I know that's a challenge and, and a scary thing to want to believe or accept, but uh, the, you know, again, this is not essential. You don't have to agree with me on this, but I, I'm going to let the Bible be my guide and how he set me free from that environment of basically judgment and, and this, this desire to perform. Because I tell you, I came from an environment where you had to perform. Okay, you had to perform in the gifts, you had to perform in the altar, you had to perform as a preacher, you had to line them up and knock them down, you know, pa-pow, 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 you know, we had no fan, we had no fan, but we had to make it feel like there was a fan with the fake gifts of the Spirit. Now, we all thought they were real. I need to wrap this up. Here's the last thing. The gifts of the Spirit are subject to the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 12 one through three says that the Holy Spirit will never contradict Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will never, ever contradict Jesus. And Jesus is the revealed word of God. And uh, even so-called supernatural events must be tested and weighed with the Bible. First John 4, 1 says, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. As a pastor, I strive to lead our church through biblical principles and guidelines that allow the Holy Spirit to move freely in our life and freely in this room when we meet. God has given the leadership of local churches, the Holy Spirit, and the responsibility of leading those who are outside, inside. And we're going to talk about that next week. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, he goes on to say, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. Again, notice the person is never out of control of their own actions. Okay? For you, all prophecy, uh, for you can all prophesy in turn, again, orderly, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The point of the gifts are to build up and encourage the church, not bring chaos and confusion. He goes, the spirit of prophets are subject to the control of, of the prophets themselves or the, of the prophets. That basically means that you don't lose control of yourself when the Holy Spirit moves upon you. You don't go into some kind of mystical, possessed trance, all right? You walk in the Spirit, you listen to the Spirit, you respond, you yield to the Spirit, but the Spirit doesn't control you like some kind of movie, you know, with your eyes rolling back, oh, you know. Notice all the gifts are directly tied to our submission to Jesus. So I want to end with three mistakes about gifts of tongues. And uh, I want to go home with this. I know this is kind of a weird message today. And hopefully it it kind of turns some of y'all's worlds upside down. But here's three errors about tongues. Number one is it is a mistake to assume it's evidence of the Holy Spirit in a believer. We unpack this a lot in week one and two. Uh, We talked about this. The Holy Spirit is given at our salvation. In fact, even in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, for by one spirit, we are baptized into the body. Okay? Through the spirit, we are baptized in the body. Despite the, claims that every, uh, despite the claims that every Christian should speak in tongues, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, to one there is given tongues, to another there is given miracles, to another there is given healing, and yet to another. He goes on, he says, not everyone should speak in tongues. Verse 30, he says, All do not have the gift of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I'll show you still a more excellent way. He says, desire the intelligible 
peaceful gifts that encourage, not the gifts that bring confusion and chaos. He says, don't neglect the work of the Holy Spirit to do the miraculous, but desire those that are more valuable, intelligible. And then he says, there's even a better way than that. It is learning how to be a great lover. That's what he does in chapter 13. Here's the second thing. It is a mistake to assume that those who do speak in tongues are closer to God. In fact, speaking the gift of tongues can at times show a lack of faith, not faith. All right. In 1 Corinthians 14, 22, he says, tongues are a sign not for them that believe, but to them that believe not. Okay, so it is not a gift that is used to encourage the body or actually to bring someone to Christ. It is a gift that is to convict someone to judgment. He's actually referencing um, right there in that passage, those that believe he's referencing Deuteronomy uh, 18 and he's referencing uh, Isaiah where he says the tongues preclude judgment. Okay, like doubting Thomas, um, it was a sign of not our faith, but a sign of weakness. And here's number three. It is a mistake to seek the gift of speaking in tongues. First Corinthians 12, 11 says that God distributes each as he determines, not as we demand. First Corinthians 12, 31 says we are told to seek the greater intelligible gifts, not tongues. And first Corinthians 14, one through five, it says we should desire the gifts that encourage the church, encourage the church, not just selfishly encourage ourselves. And in verse 13, uh, chapter 13, we are to pursue what is more ex- excellent, and that is how to be a great lover. We cannot choose to have tongues. Prayer lines for tongues are misleading. And I'm sorry if that's the way that you grew up. I grew up that way too. That is not a biblical way to look at this gift. Not one of us is capable of choosing tongues. Do not try to demand it from God. He gives as he determines, not as we demand. We are not to forbid it, but we are not to seek it either. 1 Corinthians 14, 39, he says, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy, but do not forbid speaking in tongues. He's basically saying, desire the intelligible gifts rather than the unintelligible, but let the Holy Spirit work as he sees fit and as he determines. Don't shut down what God wants to do. Okay? So, I want to end with this thought. We kind of went a few minutes late, but we got a good movie time. So I want to end with this. Van can come on down if you want. Mark 16 says this. This is the only other place that mentions it in the Bible. And that is uh, at the end of Jesus' life in Mark 16. He said to them, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Pretty clear on the reason and why we are to go and tell the world because there's a world out there and some of you in this room that are not born again and you stand condemned in the eyes of God. So we are here today to preach a gospel of clarity and intelligibility so that you might come to know and understand who Christ is. He says, and these signs will accompany or follow or will occur those who believe. This is not a guarantee that every person will have this, but he says, these will follow. He says, in my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new languages, meaning new to them. They will pick up snakes with their hands. By the way, snake handler Pentecostals, they get that one experience from that verse right there. It says, and they will drink deadly poison. It's funny how they handle snakes, but they don't drink poison. I brought the Ajax. Who's got the cobra? 
going to drink it. Uh, it will not, he says, uh, uh, they will drink deadly pro- uh, poison. It will not hurt them at all. And they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. By the way, uh, this is believed to be written post hominis from the book of Acts because every one of these events happened in the life of Peter and Paul. This is a prediction, not a command. It's a telling of what follows. So here's what I would end with, and I want to pray with you. Miracles still occur today, here and around the world. As we seek to know Jesus and walk in him, God will do the miraculous in our life over the course of our life. Don't limit God, but believe and know that God has given us these gifts to be an encouragement to others so that others might know Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. God, thank you, Lord, that you don't bring chaos, but you bring peace. God, you don't bring confusion, but God, you bring a sense of understanding. And Lord, I pray that today the Holy Spirit was understood a little bit better today. Lord, I pray that we were convicted in our heart if needed, uh, that we were matured and that we, were ste- that we stepped out in faith today. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, that the gifts are active and moving in the church today, around the world and, and wherever you determine and desire. God, let us be a church that moves and operates in the gifts at your will. God, we, we trust that you are able to do that as we seek your face, not the miracles. God, thank you so much. God, let us be like those disciples in the upper room, waiting and praying in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.